This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Tonight we're going to be talking about, is Jesus Lord of your life? Is Jesus Lord of your life? I want to show you a couple books. This has been around for a long time, growing up spiritually. Matter of fact, in about probably about 1981, I bought a copy of this book, and I really read it as a new Christian. And I wanted to learn how to grow up as a Christian. So if you're a new Christian, if you haven't, don't know much about the Christian faith, I saw we have several copies of this back there, I highly recommend you buy this book. And when you buy these faith books, not just casual reading, when you got time at home, sit down with your coffee, your iced tea, or whatever it is you like to sip on, hopefully not beer or something, but anyway, sit down with a notebook and your Bible and take notes, and this will show you how to measure yourself from the Scriptures of the Bible to see where you stand. It'll help you grow up. And then here's another one. How many of you ever heard of Kenneth Copeland? Hey man, I tell you what, he's, he, he's really a great spiritual father. One word from God can change your relationships. And there's several different, uh, really highly anointed seasoned pastors that write every chapter of this book, different pastors, different chapters. But if you're one of those people that's been married five times and you're coming in for marriage counseling and you say, well, been married five times, this was number six and this was a jerk too. Well, maybe the jerk's the one you look at in the mirror every morning. And so anyway, relationships with employers, fellow Christians, in your family, on your job, fellow employees, and different ones like that. This book here will help you because <clears throat> God wants you to succeed in every area of life. Amen? So those books are there to help you. But anyway, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 6. That was kind of weak. Man, I'll tell you what, I... I, I haven't been up here enough lately to be able to get that. That's like wind in my sails when I hear those shouts. Luke chapter 6. <clears throat> All right. Verse 46. Now listen to this. And I don't know about you, but I was taught years ago, uh, before they had all this internet stuff and things like that, that uh, the only kind of uh, thing you can get besides being live in a church service like this was we had cassette tapes. So we could buy cassette tapes to take home and listen to them. Or we had a little bit of Christian television, not a lot. And I'll never forget, I don't even know who said it, but somebody made this statement one day, a preacher. I thought, wow, he's right. He said, even if you're sitting at your home and you're watching a man of God or a woman of God open the Word of God to you while you're sitting in your living room chair, they begin to teach it. said, you need to get reverent because that's the Word of God. And treat that word you're hearing across your TV set as if Jesus were sitting in your living room talking to you. And so... I want to ask this question again. How many came here tonight to change? Amen. How many believe that the Bible, especially the Gospels, is Jesus talking to us? Amen. And so look at this right here, what Jesus said. And here's how I receive this to me. And Pastor Samples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And so put yourself in that verse there. Why would you call Jesus Lord, Lord, if you're not going to obey the Bible? The things that he says. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And so I'm going to give you a little Bible lesson to set up this chapter here. But did you know there's a difference between receiving Jesus as your Savior, allowing him to be Lord of your life? Everybody that asked Jesus in their heart received Jesus as their Savior. But not everybody allows him to be Lord of their life. There's a difference. 
And so how do you receive Jesus as your personal savior? And what does it mean? Well, I want to show you that. Look at Romans chapter 10. This is all it takes. If you mean it to receive Jesus as your savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and verse 10. And verse 13 we'll look at too. Verse 9, verse 10 and verse 13. says this. That if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That says it in the King James, but other translations says. If you shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And shall believe in your heart. That God has raised from the dead, you shall be saved. And you know, I know that years ago I was witness to a, to a Jehovah's Witness and some of these religious people that will acknowledge that Jesus was a person, was a great prophet, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't acknowledge him as Lord. Well, I talked about this verse that Jehovah's Witness and he gives me the religious. Now, sir, what does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Well, as you read this in context of the Bible, saved from eternal damnation and hell separated from God. That's what Jesus Savior does. He died on the cross at the bottom of the earth. He went down into hell. Three days and three nights he was down there to pay the price of the eternal penalty for our sins so we wouldn't have to go there. And so when a person... Ask Jesus into their heart to be their Savior, that He saves them from going to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. Anybody wants to debate that can debate all they want to, but I don't know one thing. I don't hope I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't hope I don't go to the other place. Well, the Bible doesn't call it the other place. The Bible calls it hell. <laughs> and you know, I, 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 I just, it, it's so, you know, the older I get, the bolder I get when I preach the gospel. Because it's so sad, it's so sad, to see people on earth that's going through a bad type. So, man, whew, I'm going through hell on earth. Well, if you read the Bible about hell, it says it's utter darkness. It says it's flames that are so hot that the rocks melt. It says that, as a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 13, there's a man called the rich man and Lazarus. This rich man went to hell and he was burning, 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 burning. And God let this other guy that was a beggar, homeless person on earth, see into there. And this guy was crying out for the torment. And he said, Father, let this man stick his finger in a glass of water and just touch my tongue one time for some relief. And so just as surely as heaven is forever and ever, hell's forever and ever. And so I never say lightly, man, they're going through hell. No, they're not going through hell. You don't go through. You stay. As forever and ever and ever and ever. So I'd never use that word hell lightly. It's a Bible word. God put it in there so we know what it is. And so that's what saved is. Saved means you're saved from eternally forever and ever and ever and ever being in hell burning up and never, ever, ever, ever being able to get out. You're in there, you're there. And you never get out. That's why I would never, ever, ever say lightly in a hundred million years, I'd never say, I hope they die and go to hell. I would not want the worst horrible human being in the earth today to die and go to hell. No matter who they are or what they're doing, some horrible things, and they may they may deserve execution by man's law on the earth out here to die for some things they do, but I sure hope they get saved before they die. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. 
And so we're talking about what is him the Savior. It says, verse 10, then, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That means being right with God. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so he says that when we believe and confess Jesus is Lord and God raised from the dead, we're saved. And verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of Allah, Buddha, some other, some other goofball, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, who does the Bible teach that the Lord is? Jesus. So whosoever shall call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. And so there's a difference between Savior and Lord. And so that's how you receive him. And I want you to also look at uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Because we're talking about the difference between Savior and Lord. Because I, I would venture to say that everybody in here, as far as I can tell, has received Jesus as Savior. But I don't know how many of you have made Jesus Lord of your life. But as a Bible teacher, as a pastor that loves you, I want you to be able to go to the next level and receive Jesus as Lord of your life. John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, that's what it is to be saved. This is another way. This is the way Jesus said it. To be born again. He said, you can't see the kingdom of God except you're born again. You're not going to get there unless you're saved, unless you're born again. And then I want you to, I just want to look at, I don't want to go this whole thing. Uh, verse 5. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel that I said unto you, I suggest, or it's a good idea, to be born again. What did he say? There's many ways to get to heaven. No. He said you must be born again. In John chapter 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say another way. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the door. He said, marvel not that I said you must be born again. And so he talks there about born of the Spirit. And so... To be born again is a spiritual rebirth. On the inside, until you're born again, you're spiritually dead to God. You're dead to His Spirit. But when you get born again, then your spirit changes on the inside. You receive the life of God. Now, I want to look at one more passage before we move on. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm looking at what it is to receive Jesus as Savior. But then we're going to look at a minute at what it is. To make Jesus Lord of your life. How many know what Kenneth Copeland's, Kenneth Copeland's uh, logo said for all the years of his ministry? Jesus is Lord. Every broadcast, when he's on the radio and on the television, on the internet, he always closes every time that Jesus is Lord. And when Jesus is Lord over a life, that life ends up changed. When Jesus is Lord over a nation, that nation changes. But Jesus is Lord over a job, that job changes. And so we need to receive Jesus Lord. But as Savior, we, we receive him by believing in our hearts, confessing in our mouth that he's Lord, God's raised him from the dead, and that's to be born again. But now, here's what that means, here's what happened. 2 Corinthians 5.17, verse 
Therefore, if any man or any person be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all things are of God. And so when you receive Jesus as your savior, receive the spiritual DNA of God, God's divine nature and ability. And, you know, that's the little acronym there that, you know, when I got the little papers drawn out, we use outline stuff like that. I like you to look at that because it's, I like to look at it on the screen when I do that. But you notice what I said there. He said, if you might be in Christ, he's a new creature and all things are of God. That means your spirit's changed. And so I like to say God's DNA. And I'll put a D, an N, and an A, divine nature and ability. Divine nature and ability. If our insides are changed as new creation and it says it's of God, that means we have God's nature on the inside of us. We have God's ability on the inside of us. We have God on the inside of us. Verse 21, if you look at verse 21 there, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I like what the Living Bible says that verse. It says, God took the sinless Christ and poured our sins into him and then poured all of his goodness into us. So on the inside, if you're born again Christian, you have everything it takes to win in life. You have everything it takes to walk over all the ability of the enemy. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said we got power over all the power of the enemy and nothing can by any means hurt us. And so what I'm looking at tonight is showing you how to move from Jesus as your Savior to Jesus as your Lord. If you got that ability in you, that's why Jesus said in John, in John chapter 14, verse 12, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and even greater works, because I go to the Father. And so Jesus gave us what he has in our spirit, but we as believers, there's so many things the epistle tell us to put off the old man, put on the new. Put off the old, put on Christ. And what that means is this, allow the Christ that's in you to come out of you. That's why he said, and that's, this, this is why I love praying for people that don't have mental blocks about healing. He said in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, that these signs, these signs follow that believe in my name, in the name of Jesus, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Unless it's a modern disease like AIDS, or unless, unless it's a stage four cancer, Unless the doctors were said hopeless. No, he said lay hands on the sick. That's a little child come up here to my prayer line when we have prayer. And the little kids come up there. Pastor, pray for my pinky. Well, I lay hands on a little pinky there. And I got faith in the name of Jesus. That little pinky's going to get healed. Then the next one is the old lady they drag up here that can't walk because she's ate up with cancer. Pastor, this is my grandma. Would you pray for my grandma? Well, the same faith that just healed the pinky is the same faith that heals cancer. Because it's not my power, it's his power. And it's the same thing for you. The power of Jesus in you will heal the little baby's hurts or it'll raise somebody off a deathbed. Amen. I didn't say it, Jesus did. But we as believers have got to shift our thinking. And you know, another, th- another term we use sometimes about Savior, and you know, sometimes us pastors say this because really it's true, that they just bought fire insurance. You know what that means? That means they want just enough saved. They still play around with sin and play with the world, but have just enough saved. They still go to heaven. 
That means they still go through most of the crisis the world goes through and barely make it out. You know, just oh, by the skin of their teeth, man. Glory to God, they'll be in church again for a month. They, they just came back and they need a fix. You know, and then they're out of here. And then you wonder where they're at. And then all of a sudden they're back in here. And then you find out, wow, they go through another crisis. They need another fix. They came back for more. Then somebody that's made Jesus Lord of their life, they're the ones that help fix them. They're better preach than you are shouting. Amen. Amen. And so, to be born again, you ask Jesus into your heart, He becomes your Savior, and you become brand new on the inside. But then, I want to look at this here. How do you allow Him, Jesus, to be Lord of your life? That's what we'll look at tonight. How do you allow Jesus to be Lord of your life? And so go back to Luke chapter 7. Amen. And like the man said, this don't light your fire, your wood's all wet. Luke chapter 7, verse 46, he said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? It's in other words, Jesus said, if you're going to call me Lord, then, like he said in John chapter 14, verse 13, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so I want you to look then at verse 47. What does Lord, well, I'll say, I'll say this first. What does Lord mean? I wrote down some of the things that I know Lord means to me. Lord means master. Did you ever notice in the Gospels, a lot of times the different ones that came to him said master? If somebody's your master, that means they got some control of your life. That means they can tell you what to do. It means ruler. Lord means overseer. They oversee your affairs. The one that has control of your life. The one you give permission to lead and guide your life's decisions. Lord means the one you get permission to lead and guide your life's decisions. I want to tell you something. There would be a whole lot less divorces if people would let Jesus lead them to the right one. Doesn't mean you won't have battles sometimes, but praise God, you got a better chance of winning if you hooked up where Jesus wanted you to. And how about the job arena? There would be a whole lot less uh, job hopping if you let Jesus lead you to the job he has for you. And then when the pressure comes, it's a whole lot easier to withstand the pressure on the job if Jesus led you there. Amen. And so Lord means all those things, master, ruler, overseer, has control of your life, guides you, etc., etc. But you've got to give him permission. So I want you to look at verse 47 through 49, and he tells you how to make him Lord of your life. He said, verse 47, whosoever cometh to me and hears my sayings. How many here tonight are hearing some of the sayings of Jesus? Okay, here's my sayings and does them. How many here want to do everything that Jesus ever tells you to do? Amen. And does them. I will show you to whom he is like. He is like he is like like uh, Donnie Beardshire, which builds houses. (laughs) Or John, or any of the other builders we have here, the construction people. He's like a man which built a house and dig deep. And dig deep. And laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, and I'm going to stay out here for the desert's sake, and with the, with the, what do they call those winds, Santa Anna's? When the Santa Anna's came through, when the flood arose, when the winds blew, 
the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. You got that picture when you dig down and you're anchored to something solid. When the winds come out here in the desert, it better be anchored down or it's going to go. But then he says in verse 49, he's talking about the man here that hears the says and doesn't, but the man that, verse 49, that hears and does not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth. In other words, uh, he sees somebody else's house. Boy, that looks really good. I think I can do that. And so they build it, but they don't do any digging. They don't do any anchored. They just put the boards on top of the ground and build the walls up. They got to sit there. And so it says, build a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently, or the winds blew, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So he said the Christian that sits at a church service week in, week out, week in, week out, always hears it, and they sit there, and they smile like everybody else, but when they walk out the church doors, they forget what was even taught, and then the chance comes that week to put to practice what they just heard taught, they don't do it. And so he said when the storms come, and the storms represent the crisis of life. Crisis, hard times, come against sinners, come against Christians, come against everybody. But Jesus said there's a difference in how you handle them. He said, the one that listens to my word and then obeys and puts it into practice, and when Christ has come, they got a foundation. They're rooted. See, it says Jesus is your rock when you do what he says. He says it's built upon the rock when you hear and do. Didn't say he's the rock. He is the rock. But right there, he says, this is the rock when you hear and do. He says, this is the rock of your salvation when you obey what I say to do. And, you know, I was thinking today about something that uh, happened here at about, uh, I came here in 2005, bought that house in 2006. Would have been about 2007. We came out the door. I, I bought a house in Hinkley. We, I remember, we'll never forget, I was parked on this side of the parking lot. We went out on a Sunday afternoon. Went out, man. Women were holding on to their dresses. Their dresses were trying to blow over their heads. The guys were walking there, holding on. Everybody got their kids shielded because those Santa Anas came through. They were having gusts of 70 miles an hour. They were going for a while. And, man, we tried to get to our cars. You know, had the brown out out there, the sand. Tried to get to our stuff. It was the most ferocious winds I've seen yet in 2007. I said, we got to the car, and I got to Hinkley, to my house out there. <laughs> and as soon as I got there, I thought, man, something looks different. Well, what it was, I had a brick house. My house was brick. It was, on a, it was on a cement foundation. It was brick. I mean, man, it would take something to move that house. But I had a well house that was built before I got there. I had all kinds of well equipment with those great big giant 300-gallon tanks in the backyard, a well beside it with a well house that looked really nice. But then I said, it dawned on me why something looked different. I saw my well equipment. There wasn't a well house. I thought, where'd it go? Man, it was totally out of there. Then I started looking around and saw pieces of it laying all over the area, everywhere. Well, that well house, whoever built that before I bought that house, had some really nice looking plywood. Some really nice four before inside there's post. They wasn't in the ground at all. They were just sitting there with that wood around it. And when those 70 mile hour winds came, that was it. It was history. It was gone. It wasn't anchored at anything. But the house was solid. It was standing because it was anchored. It was solid. And then I think about that about Christian lives. So many Christians I've seen go through the same attacks. And some of them a whole lot worse than somebody else. And one of them totally, totally, totally comes through it. And they're like David. 
I killed the lion. I killed the bear. Where's that giant? Let me at him. And then the little Christians, you know, that uh, got the like little kid, they got the little pinky hurt. They come up the prayer line, man, and a little old nothing, a little old what wasn't even, wasn't even a, a little old huff and a puff, I'll blow your house a little pig's wind. You know, they come up here, man, and they're crying. They're all torn up and they're shattered. And they tell me what happened on the inside. I think, oh, glory to God. Man, we eat those giants for breakfast. What are you talking about? As long as you've been coming here, something like that bothers you that bad? Okay, I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I want to thank you for helping me forgive Sister So-and-So so she took a seat. <laughs> You'd be surprised how quick some Christians get offended at the least little things in life that come their way because they don't have a foundation in the Word of God concerning love. Concerning the things of God. And so listen again what I'm saying. Jesus said, why are you going to call me Lord, Lord, unless you're going to do what I tell you to do? And so what he's saying is this then. Says the man that with the solid foundation, because he heard the word and did it, what he said is, this man made Jesus Lord over his life because he heard what I said to do and he did it. Now this man over here, he didn't make me Lord. He's one that says he's called me Lord. But he's not doing what I do, so he has no foundation. So I'm his Savior, but I'm not his Lord. And when the crisis comes, he's totally shattered in life. Does this make sense to you what Jesus said? He's telling us how to make him Lord of, Lord of our lives. And so what Jesus is saying here is the same thing that his brother James said in chapter 1, verse 22. Look at James chapter 1, verse 22. And the things I'm talking about tonight are straight from Jesus, straight from God's word. And if you will see, receive this as God talking to you and just using me to be the messenger, the one that delivers it to you. If you'll hear and do tonight, you're going to grow. You're going to come up a notch and you start putting it into practice. It's a few things I'm going to close out with here in a minute. Then the next time a crisis comes to your life, you're going to laugh at it. You're not going to call the prayer line. You're going to go on Facebook and say, I am the prayer line. Call me. Amen. You're not going to say, send them prayer, huns. What do they say? Send them prayers, hun. You're going to say, hey, hun, call me. I don't have to send them. I got direct connection to heaven. I'll pray for you. Amen. James 1.22, he says, be you doers of the word. That means act on the word. Be you doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, look at this, deceiving your own selves. It says, if you hear the word, but you don't do what it says, so you're, you are a person that's self-deceived. And, you know, something that I saw in this verse years and years and years ago, Christians that sit in a church like this, hear the word, word of God taught, but then they don't do what they know to do for the Bible, they're giving the devil a vacation. He doesn't have to deceive them, the Bible says they deceive themselves. Amen. Never tithe. And they come up here want God to bless their finances, but they never tithe. And so they say, uh, got to get the devil off my money. Well, I can't get the devil off your money. God can't either. God said you bring the tithe into the storehouse and he'll rebuke the devourer. And so you're self-deception. Because when you obey the word of God about tithing, that closes the door on the devil. He may attack, but he has to flee. Doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. And so James 1, 2 says, Be you doers of the word, not hearers only. And so another way I like to say that is this. 
Now, you might want to write this down if you've never heard it before. It's not so much what you hear and know, it's what you hear and do. It's what you hear and do. That's what gets results. Just because you hear it, just because you can quote half the Bible, that doesn't mean a thing. You know, another, in James chapter 3, I think it is, James said, even the devils believe and tremble. So it's not what you hear and know, it's what you hear and do that gets results. And so Jesus spoke to my heart a few years ago that there's three main ingredients of faith. Hear the word, speak the word, and act on the word. You've got to hear it, first of all, because faith cometh by hearing. And then you've got to be speaking the word because you have whatsoever you saith. And then James 1.22 says you act on the word, you get the results. So you've got to hear it, speak it, and act it. And I just want to just, for the sake of help you tonight on a short Wednesday night listen, give you just a few examples of how a victorious Christian lays a solid foundation to allow Jesus to be Lord of his life so they can handle any crisis. I want to say that again. That's that a lot of words, but I just want to say it. I want to show you how a victorious Christian lays a solid foundation to allow Jesus to be Lord of their life so they can handle any crisis. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And this is not a beating you up scripture. This is allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life scripture to help you win. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What are we doing tonight? Are we assembling together? It says, not forsaking the sin of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. How can you exhort one another if you don't see one another? I want to say that again. You know, you get beat up enough in the world every day. You're around sinners, backsliders, religious people out there, and all you hear is negative and garbage and just, I mean, everything. If it, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And nothing but bad luck and all the stories you hear out there, there's no exhortation out there, unless by chance you work with another Christian or you talk with one or something. But he says, you come together, you don't forsake the sin of ourselves together, but exhort one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. How many know we're getting closer and closer and closer to that end time? You know, me and Mrs. Pastor the other day were at home. I started shouting. I said, you know what, we're getting ready to be raptured out of here. There's going to be a trumpet blowing, and we're going to fly out of here. This is actually going to happen. We're so close to that happening. How many believe that? Amen. Give the Lord a shout then. And so he says, exhort one another. Amen. What he said is there, come to church every time the doors are open. This is one of those things that make Jesus Lord of your life. You see this saying right here. You're hearing it. And Jesus said, the one that hears it and does it, that's the one building the solid foundation. And so... Hook up with your pastor and church family and be a steady, consistent church member. And this is not just a, a, a pastor saying, man, I don't like to see empty seats. I don't like to see empty seats because that people can be there getting help. But my main thing is I like to see every seat filled up because I know you're coming in. Then you're going to hear some more sayings of Jesus. You're going to hear what Jesus has to say. And then I know once I deliver the message, I'm finished except for praying for you. But you're the one that gets out there and you get the opportunity, you know. How many have ever heard one of the sayings of Jesus that when somebody's messing with you, you turn the other cheek? 
Somebody's giving you a hard time. Go the extra mile. Okay, well, you're the Christian. You get on the job tomorrow and you walk through the door and somebody borrowed your such and such off your desk or off your work area and it's two foot away and you fly off the handle because somebody used something and didn't put it back. Well, Jesus said, go the extra mile. I just say, oh, excuse me. That's mine. Could I cut back? I need it. Instead, I said, start unloading those four-letter words. And yelling at them like that. And then, when you get finished, by the way, here's a card to my church. We're having special service. Would you like to come? <laughs> you probably got to come and get prayed for a black eye. <laughs> the last thing, the last thing they want to do after you cussed them out is come to your church and hear your wonderful pastor. Because they think, man, your wonderful pastor must be just like you. Oh, I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. Hey, man, that's the same to Jesus. And so we get out there with the rubber beast road. We got to do those things. Malachi chapter three, verse 10. Malachi chapter three, verse 10. And I'm talking about making Jesus Lord of your life. Jesus, Lord of your life. He said, why call you me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say to do? He said, when you do what I say to do, you're building a solid foundation. And so. You know, you didn't see my house out in Hinkley unless you're somebody that knew me and saw my house in Hinkley. But you don't know what that looked like that day. That well house wasn't some small thing either. It was a pretty big thing, you know. It was like probably uh, maybe 16 foot square. It was a pretty big thing because it had all that plywood out there like that, those big four-by-fours. But that thing was gone. And you know, that's like Christians, I know. The devil says he's going to huff and puff and blow your house down. And he huffs and puffs and blow their house down. And I think about me and uh, my, my life, the solid foundation. Man, he started taking some huffs and puffs at me back last year, some serious huffs and puffs. But guess what? My house is tended. I'm here. I'm healed. I'm strong. I'm following Jesus. But I've laid a foundation for years and years and years and years. My foundation is based upon the Word of God. I knew doctors could do their best, and I wanted them to. But I knew Jesus was my healer. I knew I wasn't going to receive healing. I knew the 2,000 years he gave it to me, and all I had to do was get my body to receive what he already did. I was in that foundation, amen? And so I had that on the inside of me. And so that's what I'm telling you, that when you hear and you do, you're saying, Jesus, I'm making you Lord of my life. Amen. It's Malachi chapter 3. Verse uh, 10 says this, bring you all the little bitty uh, change you've got to the storehouse. If you got something left over, uh, but don't dare spend your Del Taco money. No, he says, bring you all the tithes, 10% to the storehouse, that they may meet in my house, proving out here we set the Lord of hosts, etc., etc. So one of the sayings of Jesus is bring your tithe into the storehouse. And so he says, the one that hears and does says they've got a solid foundation. When the financial crisis of life try to hit your house, the devil can't blow it over. You know, uh, something that I told Pastor Dave that I've done for years, I learned it off Dr. Barclay a long time ago, and it's so easy for me to do as a pastor, that I just it's just second nature to me, because when somebody comes to my prayer line, I want to help them, whether they're a non-born-again person or if they're born-again person, if they're a person that tithes or the person that don't tithe, I want them to get victory. But when a Christian comes into my prayer line up here and they go through a crisis, especially financial things, I'll ask them, and I'm not being nosy, but I want to help them. 
There's one way you pray for a tither. Another way you pray for somebody that doesn't tithe. So if they're in my prayer line, probably some of you, I've asked you that question. You've probably been in my prayer line. And I'll say, and it's not at all being nosy or me. I'll say, do you tithe? And if you say, yes, I'm a tither, I say, well, you're easy to pray for. And I say, thank you, Lord, for buking the devourer. Devil, you can't touch their money. They're tithers. Keep your hands off of them. But then some people are totally honest. I know some people do lie. But some at an altar even. But some people are totally honest. And I've had people say, Pastor, to be honest with you, I don't tithe. But I really want to. I just haven't really got that place yet. But I'm trying. I say, okay, it's easy to pray for you too. I can pray for mercy. God will have mercy. You see, for a tither, you don't pray for mercy. They got a covenant they're walking in. They're hearing and doing. And God said, I will rebuke the devourer for you. So, I mean, that's solid ground to stand on. But somebody doesn't, doesn't, doesn't tithe, you have to pray for mercy. That God will have mercy on them. He'll help them till they get their lives lined up to where they can step out and start being a person that gives God 10% of their income. And then when they do, then they themselves, when the devil tries to attack them, all they have to do is like a policeman stopping traffic. You know, if you're out there and you got that whistle in your mouth and you got that badge on and they wear orange jackets now. I watch the school buses out in front of my house. I live by the high school. Man, they just go like that. And I'll see those great big giant uh, four-wheeler, six-wheeler trucks like Chuck's got and some of these big trucks like uh, Dave's got. Big old truck comes through. Little old woman, please, but stand there and go like that. And those trucks, they stop right there because she's got the authority. Well, you hold your hand up to the devil in the name of Jesus. Say, Satan, in Jesus' name, I'm a tither. And you have no authority to steal from me. Take your hands off my job. Take your hands off my car. Take your hands off my house. Take your hands off my children. I'm a tither. And you are rebuked, devil, in the name of Jesus. You can do that. Well, you're a tither. And so that's called, that's called being a doer of the saints of Jesus so that, so that he can do in your life what he wants to do as your Lord. Now, the last place I want to look at is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And this is the grand finale, so don't check out now. This right here is really the crux of allowing Jesus to be Lord of your life. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in all your lying friends on Facebook. Oh. <laughs> trust, trust in how many likes you get. Uh, trust in all the unsaved people that have done nothing but make disasters out of their life all the time for marriage counsel. Trust in all the unsaved people whose kids are absolute disaster about how to raise your kids. No. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Would you want to acknowledge him? In all your ways, acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. And let me tell you what that means for what we're talking about. When I ask the question for the title is Jesus, Lord of your life. And so based upon this verse here, if you really want to make Jesus Lord of your life, let him have a say so in who you marry. I'll tell you what, <laughs> a divorce lawyer and the things that follow after that are a whole lot more expensive than a marriage license at a honeymoon. I'd a whole lot rather uh, do it right up front and never have to go through the other. And so, if you want Jesus to be Lord of your life, make sure you don't become equally yoked with an unbeliever. 
Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage. So if Jesus is Lord of your life, let him have a say so who you married. If Jesus is Lord of your life, let him tell you where to work. Let him lead you where to work. If Jesus is Lord of your life, check with him before you buy that house, before you rent that house, before you move into that nice neighborhood or that other neighborhood. If he's Lord of your life, it says you check in with him, he'll direct your paths. And that's what Jesus talked about being Lord. That means master, overseer, ruler, the one that guides you, the one that leads you, the one that protects you. Let Jesus check where you're going to go to college at. If you've got kids going to go to college, don't just go by money or scholarships. Find out is that where Jesus wants them at. Let Jesus be Lord. Let Jesus be Lord of where you go to church at. Amen. Jesus is the one that knows who your pastor and your church family is supposed to be. Let Jesus lead you and guide you in that. So anyway, I'll just close out by saying, is Jesus Lord of your life? Build a solid foundation. Hear what he says, then obey what he says, and you'll move from having Jesus Savior to making Jesus Lord. Let Jesus be Lord of your life, and you will come through the crisis of life, and you'll be ready for another victory. Amen. Glory to God. Let's shout. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.